on today's podcast, Gwintelligence welcomes its first guest. It'll be fun. We'll also talk about the Pablo Sandoval and Yasmani Tomas rumors, and we'll discuss Korean left-handed pitcher, Kwang Hyung Kim. This is the November 24th edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. Another edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined as always by Padres Jagoff. Yes, we are ready for uh, one of one of the greatest podcasts that we will ever produce, I, I believe, will be produced today. Indeed. This is podcast number seven, and it is lucky number seven because we are joined by the first guest of the Gwintelligence Podcast. He is United States House of Representatives, recently re-elected Democrat from California District 52, Scott Peters. Scott, welcome. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. How are you? Yeah, welcome, Congressman. Thank you. So uh, thank you very much for joining. Um, before we start, I thought the listener would probably like to know how you became a Padres fan. Um, so why don't you just give a story about your journey here? Well, I grew up. I grew up in Detroit uh, when I was a kid. I, uh, the, when I was a little kid, the Tigers won the World Series, and I was just enthralled by that. And my wife and I uh, got married, lived in the Midwest. She got a job out here, and uh, once we re- relocated, I thought I could have a National League team and started going to games. Became a season ticket holders in '92. Uh, got our seats significantly upgraded after the fire sale. And uh, then never gave them up, and have always enjoyed them. Loved, uh, loved every minute of. Um, well, not every minute, but I've certainly loved uh, being on the Padres fan. See, I think it's so interesting because I was born in 1987, and the the time that I started thinking about baseball was about the time you moved here. So you and yeah. I have had very similar experiences of Padres fans between the '94 fire sale, the '98 World Series, uh, most of Tony Gwynn's career. Uh, the whole ownership fiasco. And so that just leads me to ask, what has been your favorite moment as a Padres fan? And also, because this is the Padres we're talking about, your least favorite moment. Well, I love the 98 World Series. I got to take my son, he was five years old back then, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. Man, the place was charged up. It was uh, it was just a, it was a lot of fun to go to. And uh, even though we got crushed and uh, Trevor didn't do very well, Frankly, no one did very well. We were overmatched. Um, it was a lot of fun. I thought that, that you know, um, we've lost a lot of talent here that uh, would have been nice to hold on to. And I've seen a lot of people, a lot of uh, good players go to other teams, and that always is a drag. Well, you know, it's pretty typical of being a Padres fan. Uh, for me personally, I know I've gotten pretty desensitized to it to some degree. I think David uh, – I think he takes it a little more personally than me, but, uh, you know, we might be on the up and up starting this off season. Stress on the maybe, but it's possible. I always, I always think that way when you're a baseball fan, right? Yeah, yeah. Hope, hope brings eternal in spring training. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that as a congressman, you are splitting time between here and the D.C. area. Um, I was a former D.C. area resident, and I went to college in Virginia and lived in, around D.C. for 10 years. Um so I know how hard it can be to find a place, not even just to put a San Diego sports team on the TV, but even to acknowledge that it exists. Uh, so I was curious, where do you watch Padres games when you're in D.C.? 
I could extend that to even like where would you watch Chargers games when you're in DC? Oh, you're sour, man. Oh, first of all, it's um, you know the the great thing about Fox News Sport uh, Fox Fox Sports um, West, whatever it is, it's um, it's on uh, Direct TV out there, so I can watch it on my own TV at night. It's on at about 10 o'clock at night, so I can uh, usually go to sleep to it. You know, fall asleep when it's. Um, one to nothing or two to one. It usually ends up that way these days. I think we're all sleeping through that. <laughs> and then, um, so I get to I get to see them out there. I, I, I they only come to the they come to DC once a year. I haven't been able to make the the weekends when they're out there. Um, but and then everyone talks about the about the football all the time. Uh, that's that's really t- relatively accessible. But I'm usually here on weekends, so I usually get to see the games uh, when I'm out in San Diego. I will say that you should go to the games. Uh, when I was living there, the Padres won, I want to say, four consecutive series sweeps. Uh, like, they won 12 games in a row in D.C. So you have a fairly high probability, statistically speaking, of seeing a, a Padres victory at a national park. Ants are better now, though, but uh, I always like to see them. And you can wear the yellow or the brown. You can stand out. Absolutely. To the other four to five Padres fans that you will see at the stadium. <laughs> so. That actually leads me to my next question. Um, it's an extremely unimportant topic, but it's, you know, it no, it's out, very important. It's it extremely such, important. It brings out so much emotion in Padres fans. Uh, where do you sit on the topic of uniform colors? Are you a fan of the brown, uh, of the blue, of the 1998 colors, or some other color scheme? I like the brown and the gold. I like the actually like the gold uniforms with the brown letters. Those are really garish. Um and they stand out. I think that I think that those were cool. I like those a lot. Um, you know, we've been through so many, though. I'm not sure which is going to stick. Um, I also like, and not many people are with me on this, the sand-colored away uniforms. Uh, you know, we've gone to gray like everybody else. Sand was supposed to be the color of the of the um, the park, and you know, the color of the cliffs at Torrey Pines. And I thought that had some romance to it, but. Uh, Somebody decided they don't like it. We're with we're with everyone else's gray right now. Well, let me ask this though: Did we like sand? And I'm partial to sand, but I felt like I liked it because it was the closest thing to brown that we could get without actually sure. getting brown. That's true. It paid homage to the brown. It wasn't quite as brown as brown as we saw before, but uh, you know, the brown was brown had a real history. A real history until what '98, I think, is when when they changed or '96 or something like that, right? Yeah, and I think for many fans, it's an identity issue. And as you said, when I was at Nationals Park, as a Padres fan, it's a lot easier to find fellow Padres fans when they're wearing the brown than it is when they're wearing you know, the blue and the gray, which, which is what the Nationals were wearing at one point. So I'm all for uh, powder blues and uh, brown and gold. Can we have that in the form of a House resolution at some point? <laughs> yeah, I, got, I get five votes for that. <laughs> Well, uh, I've gone on record on this podcast, and it's something that's uh, it's actually you know been in the congressional record and been debated on the House floor um, about steroids and and the effect of steroids during the so-called steroid era. Um, now, you said that your favorite memories are you know the World Series team, and one of the best players and one of my favorite players as a child was Ken Caminetti. And he provided so much excitement, and he helped the team win. He was an MVP of the league. Um, and we learned later he was one of the biggest users of performance-enhancing substances. Right. And I've always debated that um, I'm 
you know, that was within baseball rules. There was no rule that, that banned the usage of those substances. And now people are grandstanding and giving a lot of speeches and talking about it, about how that era should just be forgotten and wiped from the annals of history. Um, so I guess my question for you is, do you believe that baseball banning legal substances that are sometimes available at your GNC um, enhances the fan experience or is hurting it? Well, you know, I haven't um, given a lot of thought to it. I did love watching Ken Caminiti, and uh, I just can't imagine that back then people didn't know that this kind of stuff was going on. People didn't have forearms that looked like that in nature. And so I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy saying, oh, well, you know, we had no idea and we we're so outraged. Um, on the other hand, you know, he's he's died from uh, from drug use. And um, so I don't think we should be encouraging it. I do think you've drawn the right line, though, that when stuff is legal for the public, when you can get it at GNC or Muscle Max or wherever you go, I don't think there's any reason to, to ban it. Um, and certainly they have medical staff that, that's responsible for looking after it. So I, I do um, think we can get a little bit high and mighty about this. Uh, when everyone certainly enjoyed it. And I think throughout the 90s, people knew that this, this was going on. Don't don't pretend you didn't know. Well, and they promoted it via, you know, a lot of people say the home run chase saved baseball, especially after the, the strike. So, you know, as a fan, right. I can say that, if anything, I wish that more Padres had used steroids at the time <laughs> or used whatever, andro, creatine, um, because every other team was doing it. You know, it's a, it's a cold war of supplements. Yeah, well, and so I guess that they've moved, they've moved, to, they moved the standard a little bit so that we're not in that same war. But um, I do think that sometimes, um, you know, some of this it probably goes a little bit too far. Well, and we saw it last season, you know, Cameron Maben um, had a prescription for, uh, what was he using? Um, yeah. not, not Ritalin, but it was uh, one of those, one of those things. Prescription for it and still banned for it. So, you know, sometimes I think they go a little far. I agree. I agree. You know, the, um, I, I totally agree with that. In the 60s, they used to use amphetamines all the time, too. If you read Jim Bouton's book, uh, Ball Four, that was a big popular thing. So this, there's some history behind this. It's probably good to, not to encourage it, um, but I agree that uh, it, can, it can be a little bit exaggerated. But yeah, you know, the last thing we need is probably to pass out amphetamines at, uh, you know, I, yeah. I went to La Costa Canyon High School up here. We don't need to pass it out to the uh, varsity team, but... Um, I want you to know that I'm I'm with you on that. If, in case anyone watching this, <laughs> officially okay. on the record of not drugging our high school players, I like that. It's both. Okay, so it pulls well, I think. Okay, so I want to shift bases here and talk about the present Padres. Um, so they're pretty, or they're rumored to be pretty active right now in free agency. Um, and I was curious, if you were given the title Padres general manager, what would be the th first thing you'd do to the Padres roster? Well, first of all, I heard they're interested in Sandoval. I think that's great. I remember that the Nationals way overpaid for Jason Worth just to start to get people to come, I, I thought. Um, and, you know, if they're actually interested in making a big bid for Sandoval, that would be great. You know, I think it's hard to recover from the Gonzalez thing. Um, you know, we – we were all convinced as fans, and I, I was convinced that we just couldn't afford to keep Adrian Gonzalez. But he was 30 home runs every year. He was, I mean, he was, he was 100 RBIs. He was a Gold Glove uh, first baseman. He, um, he's from San Diego. He's great in the community. By all accounts, a really good citizen. And now he's, he was, we probably could have had him for 20 million dollars a year. So he goes away, and we start to pay 
you know, folks like Carlos Quentin and Josh Johnson and their eight, ten million dollars, we're not getting anything for them. You know, I'd love to be able to reverse that that whole uh, effort. Um, if you can't get him, I like a local guy like Adam Jones. I like the numbers of the the Cuban kid in uh, in in Chicago, but I guess he plays a lot of DH. Um, so I don't know if, if that's if that's really a National League fit. But you know, and I know Adrian's what 32 now, but uh, um, I'd still like to see him back in a, a you know number 23, a brown and gold 23. Yeah, it's interesting because at the time, yeah, you're right. Everyone said we couldn't pay a player 20 million dollars. Well, right now it's kind of towards the end of that Adrian Gonzalez deal, and we're looking to sign someone for about 20 million dollars. Yeah. So the whole right. argument to me is kind of void. Like right. we could have afforded him. Like objectively, it wouldn't have been an awful contract to give him. So and he was our guy. I mean, that's the thing. He was our guy. I don't remember him being injured a lot. He didn't need a lot of protection in the lineup. He seemed to be able to carry the team. You know, a lot of the guys you watch now are great when they have people. Uh, you know, they they just don't seem to be able to carry their own weight. They need they need protection in the lineup. And he would he could bat third, and you know carry the team pretty well. So um, that's the kind of person I think we need. Yeah, I'm just glad, I'm just glad he didn't get a World Series ring with the Dodgers this year. I mean, Bochy and PV yeah. was one thing, but if Adrian Gonzalez won a World Series with the Dodgers, I'm not sure how to handle that. No, that would be that would be intolerable. Yeah. <laughs> Another good thing about Adrian was he didn't get psyched out by the park. You know, he was a lefty. He got hurt by the park the most. You know, statistically, and he had a good attitude about it. So it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, we get Kashner, you know, out of the you know the long timeline of trades between that, we get Kashner out of it. So. I like the pitching staff now; it's pretty fun to watch, you know, and they're and they're pretty dependable. You know, the funny thing is the statistics are obscene about if you're winning after the sixth inning. Uh, it's just a matter of getting trying to get a lead, and and we just need someone to hit number three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they want to quick who your, who your, who your favorite player is on the current roster because a lot of people have trouble identifying with long-term with a player as their favorite uh, on this roster. I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see uh, Grandal do something. I'd love, you know, Spangenberg to be the next great, uh, great player. Um, I don't know. It's uh, I guess Seth Smith. <laughs> yeah, I mean, join the club. It's hard. It's hard to say someone. What's and the right, what's the right answer? <laughs> I don't think there, there really isn't one right now. And, and the problem the is position. actually like watching the pitchers. I like watching, um, I already forgot the kid's name. The kid with the curveball. They they sent back. Ah, uh, Han Jesse Han. Oh, yeah, he was really fun to watch, and I liked uh, Despagne when he came up. Although he, you know, he uh, he faded off a little bit. But Tyson Ross, when he's on, pitching is the fun thing to watch right now. I think. Yeah, I think this off season is so huge because whatever splash they make, if they make one, that guy will instantly be the answer to that question. He will instantly be your favorite player. If Pablo Sandoval leaves the Giants and comes to the Padres, even if he only has mediocre numbers, I think everyone's just going to love him for coming to the Padres instead of going to the Red Sox or Giants. So we'll finally have that favorite player back uh, in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't hurt that that player's nickname is a cuddly mammal that is a symbol of our world-famous zoo as well. Oh, that's true. That's their angle, I guess, huh? That's a send that to Wayne Partello, Marver. <laughs> well, uh, I've got a question. I guess um, 
you know, a lot of people have over the years kind of lost faith in the team. And I think that's why the team is trying to make such a, a splash in the off season, um, try to regain the fan trust. Um, so my, my question is, uh, and it's especially pertinent here because the people of San Diego, you know, supported uh, the financing and the construction of Petco Park. Um, do you believe that the Padres should operate as a normal, private, profit-maximizing corporation, or should they be operating as a public trust? Like the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, I mean, that would be great if the rules, you know, I mean, there are explicit rules to ban that, but that would be great. First of all, I would say that, you know, we I was really heavily involved in getting that ballpark built. It's, I consider it one of my, my uh greatest accomplishments was to be able to be part of getting that done. And we never did that in a way that was intended to give the Padres anything. The city made a lot of, a lot more tax money on that deal from the development around it than the ballpark cost us. So the intention was that it would be a, a great place to visit and you could enjoy downtown whether or not the team was, was good or bad. And I'm a little skeptical that, uh, you know, about exactly how you, you, um, you, you organize something that, that, um, you know, sort of whether it's government run or city city based thing. I think the Green Bay thing is pretty unique. And they went for years and they were terrible because they never got the right management. So that didn't make them any better. You know, I, I want to give this ownership a, a shot there. You know, we, the problem is we have these these series of ownerships that um, that they don't have any kind of consistent plan. I was kind of hopeful that Josh Byrne would be the Burns would be the guy who could put something together. But you have to have a plan. You have to stick with it. And um I, I would like to see this ownership um, have a chance to succeed. You know, I was a I went to university, and I was there long enough ago that they hired this Polish kid that's 33 years old, and he was you know he was terrible at the beginning, and they stuck with him, and then you know he finally got his first recruiting class, and then he got four national championships, and he's an icon. But you know, a lot of a lot of teams and, and programs seem willing to, to jettison a guy before he has a chance to win. So I hope we have a little bit of patience and there's no reason not to be patient. It's not like we've, we've, ex, you know, come to expect, um, you know, uh, uh, one out of four uh, world series titles to go our way. Well, I've spoken with, with Mike D and I, I actually am now on the side. I think he's honestly going to make an effort, you know, more so than Jeff Morad and, um, some I of the past that. ownership groups here. Um, I personally thought Josh Burns did an okay job given the resources he was given. But, um, you know, I think this offseason is huge, as, you know, as a way to, um, you know, endear the team back in the public eye. I think I think there's so much doubt, and, and I see it online. If there's a rumor, you know, the first – when the Pablo Sandoval rumors first hit, I think nobody believed it. They thought it was either some trick or, or it was wrong or – and I think that's the thing that the team needs to overcome this offseason. And I think, they're, I think they're working towards that, you know. Well, do you you're old enough to remember? Do you remember you were a little kid? But when they when they traded for Caminiti and they made that trade with Houston, oh, I remember. That, yeah, really up about that. That was exactly the, the kind of thing I think you're talking about that we need. And I agree. Yeah. Mike D could do some other stuff around the park for the for the fans. I mean, one of the things that the Lacino regime regime did with Charles Steinberg is they were really tuned in to making sure that the fans had a great experience. I'm a little bit concerned about the privatization of some of the space around the ballpark right now you see stuff that was supposed to be public it's corked off you know you go into the go into the um the souvenir shop or the fan store and you used to be able to walk out and that was one of the selling points of the park 
able to walk out sort of and stand on the on the field. That's been shut down. I would like to see Mike, uh, you know, make make the park itself uh, more accessible to the public, with not just to the folks who can afford to spend a lot on, um, you know, on special seating. And I've written about that. You know, the biggest thing that they talked about, you know, since it was built, is that Western Metal Supply porch. Because that was always a first-come, first-serve area where if you get there early enough and you claim yourself a stool or a spot – they didn't have stools, but a spot on the counter, um, you know, you had a good vantage point for the game. And they privatized that this year, making that a 40 to $50 ticket. So I, I think a lot of fans have seen that, that trend. Yep. All the counters were supposed to be that way too. That was supposed to be one of the charms of the ballpark, you know, like the park in the park. And actually um, when I was on the city council, they just, they tried to – build something in the middle of the park we had to fend it off and put the two big buildings off to the side because we want you know we were sold this and i frankly i helped sell this notion that you'd have a park that's open to the public and i thought that's one of the charms that that you know you that we had at petco uh was that a lot of the space would be open to the person with the five or ten dollar ticket can i ask what they wanted to build in the in the park it was like it was an office building and um they, you know, they knew that they would have great views of the ballpark from the middle, but we, you know, we went out and we got, um, we found the pictures of the, of what had gone on the ballot measure in '96, and it sh- clearly showed a park uh, right there. And so we, we kept, to, we kept to the deal. We rejected the buildings in the middle. We said, look, you can build 20, I think 22 stories on either side, which is fine. You see that the residential building on the left there, if you're looking, um, you know, sort of down down to left field, um, there's a residential building that's back behind the Western Metals. We thought that was appropriate, and, and we wanted more activity, we wanted more investment, but we just didn't want it to lose that park. And so um, that was the first battle after the, after the ballpark at the city council. Okay, so, uh, Scott, let's pretend that Congress is going to pass a bill, but in order for it to gain your approval, they've offered you the opportunity to bring something home to your district. California District 52. Except in this instance, for some weird reason, the offer is that you get to choose any player from any other team in baseball and put them onto the Padres roster. Who do you pick besides Mike Trout? And does the player coming from a Republican district mean anything at all to you? The player coming from a Republican district? We should probably try to steal a Cardinal then, huh? Um, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I, like I said, I like Adrian. I like Adam Jones. Um, I don't know. What do, what do you guys got for an answer to that question? It's complicated. I Because when I first started this, I thought Mike Trout was the obvious answer. And I still think he is because of his age and his contract and that he is the best player in baseball. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, there were so many more variables to it. For example, do you just try to address team needs? And we need a first baseman, and Paul Goldschmidt is the best first baseman in baseball, I think. So you could steal him. And by doing that, you're actually taking a player from the division, which brings up another good question. Would we rather take Buster Posey from the Giants or Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers? Because they can't replace those players. Um, so it's it's actually a much more difficult question than I thought when I first asked you it. Um, is Posey going to last as a catcher? Probably not. Probably not. not. Probably not. Yeah, so I, and given the fact we have Yasmani Grandal and Austin Hedges coming up, I, I don't think I would pick Buster Posey. But it's it's worth considering based on the fact that you know the Giants have won three of the past five World Series titles. So and we know. just ripped the heart out of them. If <laughs> yeah. you take Posey. 
That would be good. I'd like to do that. You know, you know, it's uh, if we can go back in time, we re-sign Bochi and Gonzalez. We probably do okay. <laughs> it's true. Well, so what do you think is the weakest position on the field for the Padres? I think first base. I, I really and, – and here's my reasoning. I think Jed Jerko is a solid major league second baseman. I think at least with Everett Cabrera, you have someone who was an all-star. I'm not saying he's going to recover and become an all-star again, but at least there's that opportunity. Um, third base is obviously a hole right now. Um, and in the outfield – at least there's some upside in the outfield, and you have guys like Hunter Renfro coming through the system that might uh, produce in the interim. So I think, for me, first base, as a classical power position where we've had no power since Adrian left, that would be what I would want to address. Um, I know the shelf life of the first baseman uh, isn't quite as long. For example, a guy like Ryan Howard is no longer even valuable, and he was one of the best first basemen you know, four years ago. Um, so maybe long-term that's not the best answer, but... If I was just playing for 2015, Paul Goldschmidt might be the the answer other than Mike Trout. Right. Yeah, I would have gone John Carlos Stanton. I mean, if we're not, you know, he's got a huge contract, but John Carlos Stanton, he's gonna break some pixels on that new uh, the new big screen in left field. And you hear him hit the ball too. It does. They so, say it sounds different. It really does sound different, doesn't it? Yes, yes. I saw him hit. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you're how familiar you are with Nationals Park, but he, he just crushed one into the, the red porch in center field. Like, there's no wall that is too too far for him. It's been yeah, a long I, time. Sorry, go ahead. I was just say when I go, I've only been to Nationals Park twice, and no one lets me talk about baseball, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's more fun to go to the Petco. Yeah, well, I've got I one. It, it, it'd be nice to have a guy that could hit long home runs. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen one in person that when it was hit, I just like, you know, you instantly know it's like way gone. Because, you know, at Petco, sometimes the ball is hit and you're like, oh, that's a home run. And then you have to be like, oh, wait, it's Petco. Maybe it's a home run. But yeah. and, and all the ones I can think of in my memory are uh, either Barry Bonds home runs there was a Miguel Cabrera home run that he hit on top of the Western Metal Supply building. Um, I think Jason Worth, actually, uh, yeah. it might have been before he left the Dodgers. He had a couple of the left center field that were moonshots. The guy from Toronto, the catcher Buck from Toronto, hit a couple when he was here. I don't know if he went to those games. I don't think I was at those. But, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen a Padres player, you know, hit a moonshot at Petco. And so uh, Stanton would be great from a viewing standpoint. Um I'm not sure he's actually better than Paul Goldschmidt, but from an uh, yeah from a from a viewership standpoint, that might be a good pick too. Do you guys think that the Padres? You guys are numbers guys. Are the Padres more injured than other teams? Like the whole notion of Cameron Maybin or someone being out for tearing a hamstring when you know it's just from running. I'm not sure that they're injured. Well, they might be injured more, but. I think the root of it isn't luck or, or the health training staff. I think it's because they have a low budget. They take on players who have a, an injury history and an injury risk because they're cheaper. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, if you bet on an injured player who has a bad injury history, they're going to get injured. So well, that'd I, be true for someone like Johnson or, or, or Quentin. They're Quentin. old. Like these young guys, you know, there's, there's new techniques that they have at Stanford and, and you know the Eagles have it. I just wonder if we're if we're if that would be a cost-effective way to get keep some of these people on the field. I don't have any idea, but I thought you might you guys might know. 
Yeah, I think the sample size, so for example, with all of our young pitchers uh, having arm problems between Joe Whelan yeah. and Casey Kelly and Corey Lubke, all of that stuff, it is too small of a sample size to definitively say it's our training staff or it's the methods, but I, why risk it? Yeah, I mean, if there's a different philosophy out there and we can't prove that ours is better than theirs, I don't see why we should stick with something that we can't prove is working. Um, yeah. I'm I'm all in favor of, you know, trying to be innovative in sports, especially if you're a team that won't have the financial, uh, you know, purse strings like the Yankees to buy a way out of bad situations. You have to be proactive in uh, finding ways to create value. And if it's by trying new innovative training methods, I think that's something they should explore. And to some degree they have. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Andrew Kashner, who you could argue is our franchise player right now, the way that they market him. Um, he's a 100-mile-per-hour throwing pitcher who's throwing 93-94, you know, as a result of the training staff, you know, actually changing his his approach and his strategy on the mound to, to you know, enhance his health. Right. But, you know, it wouldn't be that big of an investment to, to bring in some, some more doctors, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Or diff- you know, different – there's a lot of there's a lot of advances in how people understand training athletes. I just think we ought to make sure we're on the cutting edge. We're not just, you know, uh, bench pressing. Yeah, you know, put aside three hundred thousand bucks, give some grants to UCSD and San Diego State's like biomechanics departments, and I think it would be interesting to see what they came up with. Well, I've got one last question. And I know that this is uh, very important to many fans. Uh, I, I, as well, am a season ticket holder. I go to many games. Um, it's very cold sometimes, and one nothing games are not very exciting. So a lot of fans' discussions start to head towards uh, what beer to get. And that's one thing the Padres, you know, no one will disagree. They have a great beer selection there. And, again, I'll compare it to Nationals Park. Nationals Park, you're lucky to get a Miller Lite, um, and I think Blue Moon is their premium beer there. Um, the Padres are great at, at, at the concessions and the beer. Um, so I've seen in a lot of interviews with politicians locally, and usually their favorite local beer is Sculpin or Stone, which is far too easy of an answer, I believe. So other than those two, I wanted to know what is your favorite local craft beer with extra points if it's available at Petco Park? I don't know. I think it is available. I, I get um, – and I, it's in my refrigerator in uh, D.C. too. It's uh, West Coast – IPA by Green Flash. Yes, that is available. Right, I like that. I like that stuff pretty well. Now I can't have a lot of it because I'm too old to drink beer. But because uh, you know, but uh, well, they make it strong. <laughs> you know, it's getting stronger and stronger these days. Yeah, and they only sell them four at a time, so you don't have to drink quite as much with those. And I like I like to support the local industries. After all, I will note that they are located in District 52, I believe. They are indeed. Yep, yep. They have a great tasting room. They do. Awesome tasting room. And I, although I will tell you, maybe you should make a few trips up, uh, up North County. There's quite a few good well, options up here. I, I actually, we, I had a beer bet with, um, with a guy on the chargers, um, lightning brew in, in, uh, in, um, Poway. Yes. Yeah, and I like the court, the guys at the Coronado brewery, they have some good stuff too. It's pretty, there's, there's pretty consistent quality across the district. Yeah. Well, it's one thing I've noticed, like when I travel, so I'm a frequent, world traveler i love to just go and explore different countries 
the beer here in San Diego is better than anywhere else in the world, and I mean that. Like, when I go other places, they'll tell me, you have to try this local beer, and I'll try it. And it's, like, the fifth best beer at any of the local breweries here. So if there's one thing San Diego has going for it, I say one thing. We've got a lot going for us. But if I had to pick one thing, it might actually be the beer. I'd second that. Be a good call. Yeah. Congressman, I will recommend you try uh, DC Brow when you're out there. I was always a fan of that. I've mm-hmm. actually I've actually flown back with suitcases of it. <laughs> okay. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Guys, I appreciate you having me on. I, uh, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, I'm glad to know about you, and I'll uh, make sure I tune in and listen, uh, especially when you have better guests than me. Well, we uh, really appreciate you coming on. It, uh, it was a pleasure. Um, you were the first guest in Quintelligence podcast history. We were holding out for someone significant, and we got it, and we're really grateful that you came on. Yeah, All it's right. nice to talk to someone who wins once in a while, you know, about yeah. winning. Like, I feel like we don't talk about winning enough as Padres fans. Well, so. I'd love to win a blowout, but I'm, all my games are close, too. So, yeah. <laughs> Hey, those are the most exciting. When you're out of Petco, say hi. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, Congressman. Thank you very much Thank again. You. Well, that was fun. We got to interview an actual congressman on yeah, the Intelligence really Podcast. Did. I was going to put him on the spot. Spot and have him challenge Daryl Issa to come on, or, or Duncan Hunter, Duncan Hunter Jr. You know, some other, some other big wheel to come on the show. Yeah, I was going to ask him some more uh, potentially charged questions, like how do we stop these Koreans from taking all the pitching jobs on the Padres? <laughs> I think he would have liked that. Yeah, why aren't we issuing more H uh, seven whatever visas? Uh, well, maybe we'll get to have him back on sometime in the future. Um, for now, though, there's a lot of present baseball to talk about, so let's just jump straight into this. Um, I already touched on it. The Padres won the bidding rights to left-handed Korean starter Kwang Hyung Kim. Uh, he's got an interesting backstory, having had a stroke in 2010 after being the league MVP. Um, he's made his way back into the league. Um, it cost $2 million, and now the Padres are negotiating a contract with them. They had 30 days starting... I think November 17th or something like that. Uh, what do you what do you think about this? First off, is this the is this the the first bid we've won since um, Akinori Atsuka? Have we, have we won one since then? Well, we won the Cuban bid with Despagne, right? Or is that even uh, bid? Well, is he post? He's not posted though. Like, uh, I mean, I thought the yeah. posting process was was an Asian thing. Yeah. So there's Hideki Arabu, which I I hate having to mention his name on the podcast. Akinori Otsuka, and yeah, I think this would be the next one on that so, list. I mean, Akinori Otsuka at the time, you know, it wasn't, it didn't make headlines, but he was a, a very productive player. You know, we posted similar amount for him, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think the talk with the new guy is he he's, may not be a starter. He might be a long reliever, middle reliever type. Um, I haven't watched any video on him, but from what I understand, the Korean Baseball League is very offensive-oriented, and he did have good stats. Um, but m- my opinion is that if you're going to throw $2 million around, you might as well throw it at, a, at an unknown you – know, he, he was a star in Korea. You know, He's well-known um, among the people there and the fans. And if you're going to throw $2 million around, I'd rather they throw it on something like this where it has the potential for, for working out great – um, then throwing two million dollars doesn't go that far on the free agent market. 
Um, you no, know, it doesn't go anywhere in the free agent market at all. Yeah. So if you're gonna throw money around, you know, a little bit of money like that, I'd rather go for the for the for the uh, potential payoff. And I think last year with Despagne, you you know, they paid him a million bucks. I think we got well. You know, he was pretty good. You know, fifth fifth starter quality for a million bucks. Um, I think it's small bets like that that can that uh, can help this team. Yeah, especially if you're gonna be dealing from your pitching. Having some low-risk, potentially high-upside guys at the back of your rotation, uh, not a bad way to do it. And I made this point on Twitter. Uh, if So the $2 million bid plus whatever they're going to pay him contractually, I'm just going to guess. Which I read is like 2 to $3 million a year. I think. Yeah, so that's going to add up to Eric Stoltz money. Now, it would, who would you rather have, Eric Proven Boring Stoltz or some Korean guy that used to be the MVP of the league that might be able to – uh, you know, come in and at least be deceptive in his first year, if not uh, productive based on talent itself. I mean, he's, he's a wild card, and yeah. it's he's lefty, right? Right. Um, yeah. I actually encourage all the listeners to YouTube um, his name because the Korean league posts basically game highlights for every game ever, and so you'll find. I, I mean, I found 15 full games of him pitching. He looks interesting. He, he's wait, wait, wait. Did you watch 15 full games of, of no. the KBO? No, 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 no. So I actually went and I cherry picked games where he had good stats because I wanted to see what he looked like when he was on. Um, and you know, he it, he really is going to be just fastball slider. I think I, nothing else looked effective to me. Um, now, granted, I am very amateur at this, but so uh, that also means probably probably relief. I would be guessing yes relief pitcher but you never know they might be able to teach him a third pitch maybe teach him a cutter or i don't know teach him something that he can use a high proportion of the time um he was mostly throwing now i don't know if they jack up the radars in korea like they do here in america but he was mostly throwing around 92 mm-hmm. when i was watching which which will play in baseball um is especially he decept- is he deceptive he's got uh medium it's it's not like it's Hideo Nomo or anything like that right. you know no high leg kick none of that that stuff it's more um uh who did he remind me of when I watched it it was a player from the 90s I can't remember offhand but uh, I, I think he's not going to be tipping his pitches or anything like that based on like really weak motion yeah please tell um, me he reminds you of Dennis Rasmussen one of my favorite Padres he did not unfortunately <sighs> But look, if he winds up being, you know, a lefty loogie type, uh, you know, for two million bucks, it's not that bad. Like if he's the new Joe Thatcher, uh, we could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I'm not sure if he's gonna bring any viewership, but it can't hurt. Like if some kids in Korea buy Padres hats and become Padres fans because of it, you know, the Padres have to do something to organically grow the fan base outside San Diego. Yeah. Um, well, and I can so, say this. Uh, so my mom's Korean, so I've got family in South Korea. Um, I can say that when Chan Ho Park was on the Dodgers, there's a generation of Koreans that are uh, Dodgers fans purely because of Chan Ho Park. You know, there's not that many Korean players that show up in the majors. So yeah, you know, I, he does stick on a roster. I think that you're looking, you know, it's not, you know, millions of people that are going to be tuning in for Padres games, but you get a few people that, that care. Yeah, and I would love to, for example, have um, 
the Korean shortstop that got posted. Bring him in as well. Like, I, I think at this point, if your options are paying, and apparently the shortstop will cost more money, but if your options are paying $20 million for two years of Michael Kadire, or, you know, spending that on someone who could potentially be a star in baseball, even if his odds of doing that are low, just potentially being a star and bringing new fans to the fan base, I think that's a no-brain decision. Like, it really shouldn't be, you know, even debated, in my opinion. No, I wish they'd make 10 of these acquisitions. Just, you know, high-risk, low investment, international moves like that. And it's one thing when you do that with a Dominican who's 16 years old. It's another when you're getting people that are competing on a professional basis. They're used to the day-in, day-out grind of baseball. And certainly, from what I've seen in the Asian leagues, uh, they don't baby the arms there. Uh, You don't hear that much about uh, arm injuries from the the Asian pitchers that have come over here. Um, So, you know, as far as what Preller's doing, if – if he wants to throw another $10 million at, you know, three, four pitchers from there, I, I'd be all for it. Yeah. I might combat that last point, though, because Hung Chi Kuo had multiple arm injuries. Um, he's actually a comparison I saw for, uh, uh, what was his name, Quang Hyung Kim. It's going to take me a while to get that name right. Um, and then uh, who was the other starter? Tanaka last year had arm problems. So Well, Tanaka's uh, 38 or 39, but he, he's had a healthy career, you know, here. That's true. I, I guess I, w- I would, if I was betting on it, I would pick the Asian pitcher over the uh, American pitcher who's been throwing 150 pitches uh, consecutively when he was a little kid and has been babied ever since. That seems like a strange way to do it, in my opinion. But yeah, you know, in the world of Korean baseball, the Padres really making pushes. Uh, let's not forget the key component of the Anthony Rizzo trade was Kyung Min Na from uh, the South Korean League as well. So, yeah, is he still in the organization? I'm pretty sure. I, he's gone, right? I doubt it. Yeah, he had like a 500 OPS that year, and I remember looking at it. I I remember the trade happened, and I was so bitter that we traded Rizzo. I didn't even look at Na's numbers until I want to say sometime in June, and I saw it once, and I was like, "Well, this guy's never doing anything." And I don't think I've ever looked at him again. Yeah, uh, his last his last season in the U.S. was in 2012, so I think he's back in the Korean League. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're in agreement here. We both like that uh, move, low risk, potentially some upside there. And if it doesn't work, it's $2 million plus salary, whatever. It's not, not going to cripple us. Exactly. But there's okay. a lot bigger news out there. You know, yes, much, much bigger news. So... Apparently, and this is going to seem like it's coming from alternate universe Padres, but apparently Pablo Sandoval, his highest offer in the free agent market right now is from the San Diego Padres. I don't five, even know five, five years, think. ninety-five million, right? I don't even know what to think. That is his uh, rumored offer from the Red Sox. Ooh. So my my theory here is that the Padres might have offered more total money, but an extra year, so like six one hundred, for example. Uh huh. And so the actual uh, value per season is more from the Red Sox opera. So it was never defined what more money meant, uh, if it was per year or per, um, you know, for the total life of the contract. So I'm not sure what to think necessarily on that. But the fact they're even being mentioned, oh, I, I so don't want to fall for it. Like, I, re- I really don't want to be that because I am the person more than I think anyone else who's telling people don't fall for this stuff. But even I'm getting my hopes up. 
Well, and that's, what the, that's what, the team, that's what the team wants, right? I mean, how many straight off seasons have we had where our GM says, uh, you know, we're going to wait the market out. Uh, we think um, we think the market is uh, valuing this too highly. Salaries are out of control, and we're just going to wait and see what what winds up at the end of of the off season. You know, we tendered no contract offers. We wait till the end, and we pick up the scraps. I think that we've been programmed. Uh, to accept that, and when we get something different, um, you know, we get real excited. And I, I think at this point, even if we didn't sign them, we'd all be disappointed. But I guarantee that the general public sentiment would be, well, we gave it our best shot, and we tried. At least we tried. That's better than not trying at all. I don't. I don't think that will be the public sentiment. I really don't. I think if we strike out on Pablo Sandoval and Yasmani Tomas, and also don't sign another one of the big-name guys out there like Hanley Ramirez or, or Max Scherzer or something, I think there would be a genuine backlash from fans. Like, we've heard, yes, we've heard that argument before in the past. Well, at least they tried with so-and-so. I, I can't really name uh, a guy offhand that was, was like that, but there's been some in recent off-seasons. I just don't think Padres fans will accept that anymore, especially if they're, you know... First of all, Chase Headley's gone, and I know there's a lot of argument over whether he deserved a contract extension or not, but he was promised record-setting money. And so if they don't give that out this offseason, that was pocketed. And that's, you know, that's – that is so Jeff Morad. That is so, you know, Moore is at the end of his tenure that, like, I just don't think Potters fans will ever stomach that. Um, because I think, you know, fundamentally I think the dialogue has changed in Potters land. People that, you know – Two years ago when Change the Padres came out and when I started making that, I was one of the few people with the opinion that the Padres were really, you know, among the cheapest teams, that they don't do anything with their money, uh, that they lie, all these sort of things. That is kind of like mainstream opinion now because I think the long, you know, once someone puts it out there and people start to uh, digest that argument and then the future unfolds and it, works to that narrative and not to the other narrative they were using, they start to come around. And I think fans have come around to uh, what I used to believe and what now I believe most fans believe. And I don't think anything short of a major splash this offseason will be justified at all from the fans. Well, and I've said that on this podcast. I think that the front office knows they need to do something big, and that's why I foolishly put the Tomas rank uh, odds. I think at like thirty three percent, which it doesn't look that foolish anymore. High. I don't think it's that foolish anymore. Like, well, and I know I, I just said that I don't want to fall for it. I just said that, but I would like to formally edit my odds on Yasmani Tomas from two percent to your original 33%. I think that is, like, reasonable at this point in time. I think it might even be higher than 30. I mean, honestly, it's higher than 33%. If you look at the teams that are interested, you know, reportedly, um, you know, put it at 40%, 45%. Yeah, and, and if you remember, my argument before was that Corey Brock hadn't talked about it at all, and he had basically said he was going to be too expensive. And now the team has basically come out through their mouthpiece and said, we're going after these guys. We need to make a splash. Mike D recently even said that the Padres are going to operate not like the top five payrolls, not like the bottom 10, but like a mid-tier franchise. And that's something a mid-tier franchise has to do. And so, I mean, either they're really good at lying again and it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past that. And maybe that's why I'm saying 33% and not 50%. But, um, you know, I think there might actually be something to it. Um, 
And it, it's going to really kill me if they don't sign any of them because I'll have fallen for something I've said not to fall for for the longest time. Well, let me say this. the I, I think um, – I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I don't like conspiracy theories. I see it on, on Twitter and online all the time. I think some people don't even believe that we tendered an offer to Pablo Sandoval. I think they think it's it's – it's fake. It was, you know, ginned up in, in the Padres front office. I don't buy that. But as a devil's advocate, is it really that far out of reach to think that the Padres hired a PR consultant? They did their research. They saw the negative reaction to fans when they're told, um, you know, we don't have the money. We're not going to sign these guys. It's just crazy salaries. So. Some consultant says, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, maybe make an effort at some of them? You know, you don't have to sign them, but you go after them. You leak it to the press. You make it clear that you're issuing contract offers and you're trying for the big name free agents. And when they don't come in, then you can say, we tried our best. We put out a, a, a fair offer and they just chose another team and we're going to go after it next offseason. My opinion is that the fan base won't be that disappointed. Um, I think that online, a lot of us bloggers who are really super fans of the team will be disappointed. But I think if you talk to Joe Padres fan that calls in to 1090, uh, you know, I don't. I think that they'll buy that that argument. I don't know if they will anymore. Like I, if this was the last off season, I think I would agree with you. I think the average fan would. But I think another season of what we just saw, everyone can see that we need offense. Every single person. And the Fowler-Seidler group has come in, and they haven't given out a large contract to anyone. And they said in their initial interviews, you know, when they got the team and at the first fan fest there in February of 2013, right after the Change of Padres thing came out, they said, you know, we appreciate this, but give us two years. Well, this is now exactly two years. And so, you know. Well, let me me say this then. What – so they lose on Tomas, they lose on um, on uh, on Sandoval. You know, they they've they already missed out on LaRoche, who a lot of people thought the Padres might sign. So, like, let's say they miss out on those. They they issued an offer. It's in print. You know, regardless of, of what that number is or what you know how competitive it was. You know, I believe it's fairly competitive. But let's say they lose out. They sign you know Mike Morse. You know, two years, twenty million dollars. Maybe they go after someone else who's who's a short term signing. And they say we tried. You know, we we went after the big names. We didn't win. We tried our best, and we're still trying to improve our offense here with some free agent signings. Who are still, you know, in Padres land, ten for ten. You know, two years, twenty million dollars. That's that's still unheard of. Um, I, I still think the average Padres fan will buy that, with the assumption that they're still going to do this next off season, try to sign, you know, the bigger names on the market. I, don't, I, don't I think, think PR-wise, for the average fan, the average you know senior citizen that's, that has season tickets that goes to the game, I think that's enough for them because but, things have been so bad for, okay, for so, six years, seven years. Okay, from a marketing standpoint, so if, if you're the Padres uh, front office and you're trying to maximize uh, attendance or maximize money you know, through ticket sales or whatever, whatever you're trying to maximize there, the, the fans like that that are going to be completely unaffected by whatever moves are going to take place, they should not even factor into the conversation because that's guaranteed money. It's going to be guaranteed money no matter what. But there are other people – I mean there are very easy ways to win back Padres fans, and there are people 
that have season tickets that are on the fence about it, in my opinion. And this is actually, it's not even my opinion. This is what has been told to me by over, I mean, I would say 200 different Padres season ticket holders who have reached out to me in the past year through the change of Padres movement saying, we haven't re-upped our season tickets and you're one of them. Um, I just don't think Mike Morris at two years and $20 million. I think people are going to say this is Brad Hawk 2.0. I think they're going to say this is Jorge Cantu. This is, you know, and I think that's totally fair because. Well, I think that that's the perception. First of all, they're going to get killed on social media. Um, Not just because of uh, bloggers being angry about it. And I don't think it'll be depressing. I think it'll be discussed. I, I think it's like, slightly worse than depressing at this point in time. But also there are so many statements they've said on the record that I have saved to my computer that I have already lined up in a video in, in case they don't do anything. And it's going to be change the Potter's video 2.0 and it's going to be all the new owners and it's going to be horrible PR for them. And I think they don't want to be looked at as liars, which is what exactly what they'll be looked at is if two years through, they haven't done anything like they promised when they first got the team they haven't given out that Chase Headley franchise uh, setting record money contract yet. It's just going to be, I think it's just too much. I really do. Um, I, well, let me say, let's say Tomas ends up going for, they're talking 70 million. Let's say he goes for a hundred million. Let's say the bidding is crazy. Or let's say Sandoval goes for $120 million. Okay. I, I think that the Padres can say, look, Ken Rosenthal said that we put in the highest offer at one point, you know, and we just we were willing to go five years. We weren't willing to do six years. I still think average Padres fan, even online, even bloggers, uh, I, I think that they will take that. And it's different when you sign Cantu and Brad Hopp in an offseason where you say, man, things were too expensive. We, you know, we, we found value where we could find it. I think that's different. It's different when you sign a Mike Morse after you are in print by you know re- reputable reporters that you made an honest effort at a player, and I, I'm speaking of this as a business, like speaking as a business talk. And again, I don't really believe in conspiracies, but I'm thinking as a businessman, when you make a you know a 90 million dollar investment, isn't a small investment. Um, yeah, but here's the thing: they've had multiple off seasons to make that investment. It's not like it's not like the clock started here. I mean, they got the team in what like. August of 2012. Yeah, but I think I mean, a lot of the calculus changed this season as far as fan loyalty. You know, these are businessmen. You know, they've got consultants. They've got pollsters. They've got all kinds of market research going on all the time beyond, you know, just fandom talk that you read on ESPN or in the in the UT. There's all kinds of business metrics that they're running. And yeah, I, sure. I think that when stuff like BS Plaza happens, uh, Beer Gate, every scandal that happened this year, I think the writing was on the wall for the front office that – we better get serious and don't think for a second they didn't hire a consultant to write a report that said these are the things you need to do to regain uh, market share in this market. Yeah, but I don't think going after players and losing, I don't think that does anything. I, really I don't, don't think it's a purposeful strategy, but I, I don't think they're purpose you – know, personally, I don't think that they're bidding on Sandoval just to get the headlines and with no intention of signing him. I think they would like to have Pablo Sandoval on the team. I, I think ultimately – um, either they want to add good players or they don't. And making a, But a it's not at any cost. Uh, I, I yes, think that I, they can make a fair argument that they will go after players but not 
uh, well, they'll say, not at, at unfair uh, salary demands. I would but, you know, counter that by saying those are the market prices for, for that asset. But Exactly. If you want a player, you pay him the most money. And yeah, but Joe Cotterson doesn't, doesn't get that. They're making $40,000 a year welding. You know? No, I, okay, well, I don't know how many welding Padres fans there are. I'm going <laughs> to guess three of them, maybe. Um, but I just don't think Padres fans will buy that anymore. I mean, it's been – like, if, for example, they add Mike Morse to our lineup, so the improvement is Yonder Alonso to Mike Morse for 2015. Oh, I, I would be enamored with that move, but still. But, but, the, net, but the net result is negative fans, in my opinion. Like, I don't think – they gain fans from signing Mike Morris. I think they only lose it from not signing people. And so making a competitive offer is different from making by far the best offer, um, which is a lot of times what you have to do to get a player. You, you well, and, and Scott Peters mentioned it. Look, I was in D.C. when they signed Jason Worth. And if you read fan graphs and you read any, DC, uh, you know, any blog, nationwide baseball blog, they said that was a bad deal. You know, it was foolish to give Jason Worth seven years and however much, $150 million. But – it has worked out the way, and Nationals were open in their strategy at the time as saying, this isn't just about signing Jason Worth. It's showing, and keep in mind, they were the worst team in baseball two seasons in a row. They were a terrible team before then. Their star was Dimitri Young uh, in his waning fat years. Um, and they knew that signing Jason Worth would not just um, show the fan base that they were serious, but it would show other free agents that they were serious about winning. Um and I kind of think that's the position the Padres are in this offseason where, yeah, they, they do need to show that they're serious. You know, it's better if they actually sign the player. But um, I, I just think their mindset is we need to, we need to do something. And what's interesting with the Jason Worth thing, though, is everyone said it was an awful contract. But over the past two seasons, there are only, I believe, three outfielders in all of baseball with more wins above replacement than him. Very true, yeah. But, you know, and, at the time, most people would have said that's not going to happen. Right. I mean, last year he had a 394 on base percentage. The year before that, 398. If he was on the free agent market right now, he would get more than what he currently has left on his contract, which is three years, $63 million. He would get like a five-year, $80 million deal, even at his age of 35. Well, and he's also a special case in that he's not just a player, he's a personality. Uh, I do know that it, the Nationals very much market around him, you know, his looks, his, uh, you know, his beard. Um, it's just incredibly popular there. And I, I think it starts with overpaying. You know, sometimes a team like the Padres, you know, they, they need to overpay. But that's the whole point. My whole point is that I, in the free agent market, there is no such thing as an overpay. Like, the term overpay assumes that you could have gotten that player at less than what you paid him. Um, and yeah, maybe, okay. So maybe if you offer Pablo Sandoval 120 million, when you could have gotten for him for 110 million, that's a $10 million overpay in that sense. But if you don't get a play, uh, you know, the market price is exactly the player's market value. Like, yes. Yeah, I'm in absolute agreement with you. I mean, the free so, agent market is pretty close to, you know, it's not pure competition, but it's, so it's it's pretty close to pure competition. So the term overpay, I think, isn't like relative to what else you could do with that money. But I mean, they're not going to do anything else with that money. There's nothing else they can do with that money. I mean, sure, they could extend some players on the roster, but that doesn't add assets to your team. Right. So either they have to have the best offer, like clearly the best offer, and get a player guaranteed, or in my opinion, there's you know just competing with 
competing with other offers and making the hands of, you know, the best offer. Those are two different things. So maybe they'll sign one of these players with, by having a competitive offer. Uh, or maybe they'll fail on both of them. And if they fail on both of them, I still think even if they want to make the business, you know, argument that the player was only worth 110 million, we shouldn't go 120 million. I still think that's a bogus argument. I really do. Um, well, again, it's not mine. I'm speaking for read the UT message board. Sometime, not even the message board, just a comment on an article about the Padres. And I believe that that's Joe Padre fan. And they are uh, ridiculous. Yeah. I think there are a lot of fans that are like that. Yes, I'm not going to disagree, but I, I think. Uh, I mean, listen to you. You've had, you've had to listen to a terrible Dan Cilio show. Like, you can hear. You can hear Joe Padre's fan on there. I, I don't listen to Dan Cilio <laughs> unless he has Mike Dion. Yeah. Right, yeah. I, but, okay, I get your point. There are, there are certainly some fans that are going to be like that, yes. I am talking about the prevailing public opinion. Like, if you were to take uh, a giant poll of everyone who goes to Padre's games or has gone to a Padre's game or would go to a Padre's game, I think the – and you ask them, does this satisfy you? Is this a satisfying offseason? No one's going to say that's a satisfying offseason, except for the the ones that would no matter what. And I don't think those opinions count. People that are going to be favorable to the offseason no matter what they do, those opinions do not matter because they're not changed by the Padres' actions. Um, I think that's maybe part of my point. Like, of the people that whose opinions you can change and make a dent in the San Diego market, which is what all that marketing would be for, none of those people are very small – segment of those people are ones that would justify going after a high name free agent and losing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess we're It'll probably going to gonna have to agree to disagree on it because I, I, honestly, I'm looking at my Twitter now and I just get the feeling that a lot of people on here are satisfied with just seeing the Padres name in the headlines when it comes to top free agents. Obviously yeah, they're, I mean, they're going to be disappointed. Well, no, I think I'm not ready to tough. resign myself to being disappointed. I, I'm still holding out hope that we can sign at least one of them. But um, I honestly think a lot of people are going to be satisfied with seeing the Padres in the mix. I think if the Padres open this season without having made a major move, I'm going to burn my Padres stuff. <laughs> I've been debating doing it for a while because it's all blue Padres stuff, and I don't want to yeah. own any blue Padres stuff anymore. So – if, if they did that and, and, and they I mean that is just screwing with the fan base to go after a franchise that's never signed a, a big player ever like they never have like people want to point at Steve Garvey he wasn't a big player he was a medium player you know like it's a big player relative it's not Robinson Cano it's not A-Rod it's not you know those big players um, yeah, so we've got nothing Gossage I mean to screw with the fan base like that and come back empty handed uh, I'm not going to find that palatable at all, and I'm going to burn all my stuff. That's just what's going to happen. Well, it, I won't, it, I won't it, burn my like, stuff, but, it, and it, I'll be disappointed, but uh, I, I honestly think that if you check your Twitter at the end of the office, let's assume we don't sign anyone of note. You know, I, I don't. I think a lot of people are going to say, uh, you know, we tried our best, and let's go after it next offseason. That's fair. I hope we don't have to experience that. And yes. if we do um, – I don't know how we can measure it. If you can think of a good way, maybe we can make it a burrito bet. Well, as a closing note, like who, if you had to choose one, and you know it's unknown right now if the Padres would sign both, 
but if you had to choose one, Tomas or Sandoval, who do you go for? Oh boy, I have to choose one. I mean, I would probably go after a Sandoval. And and the reason isn't because I'm not enamored with the upside of Yasmani Tomas and how much we need a guy like that. I just think Sandoval is going to have liquidity no matter what. And the Padres have invested so much in guys with no liquidity. And by that, I mean, you know, Carlos Quinton has no liquidity. You can't move him. Right. I think Pablo Sandoval, even if he regresses a little bit, he'll still have value. And he'll still, you know. Well, you, can always, you can always pawn him off to someone in the mix for playoffs. And you can say, look, he's a proven postseason performer. Yeah, I mean, and next that year. That has a lot of value. Sandoval, I mean, if he came to the Padres, actually, I actually think his numbers will go up at Petco Park compared to San Francisco. And that would be something fun to, to discuss, having looked at it in, in detail. Um, but, I mean, well, I would expect. Yeah, I don't know if you saw like, the, the chart today. Uh, you know, every one of his home runs would have been a home run at Petco. Yeah, but that's different. So the chart doesn't work because the chart <laughs> – no, it doesn't because the chart takes the distance the ball traveled. And that doesn't work because in Peco Park, the ball doesn't travel as far because of the marine layer. It's not a matter of the uh, dimensions of Peco Park. It's not a dimensions thing with Peco Park anymore. Yeah. It's a – you know, it's it's a density of the air problem. And so well, it's, it's muddled with him because he played for the Giants and Peco Park has similar marine layer thick air issues. Yeah, and so I, I actually think it'll go up because the dimensions at Peco are more favorable than the dimensions at Pac Bell. But the the overarching problem with the marine layer is is kind of there for both. So I actually think his numbers will slightly increase uh, with the Padres. But let's say, for example, you know, with Pablo Sandoval, it's it's pretty certain we can kind of project what he's going to do, right? He's going to have a 340, 350 on base percentage with you know, probably slightly less than 20 home runs and play an adequate third base around league average, right? Um, even if he doesn't improve his weight. Yes, Monty Tomas could very easily, I mean, it's crazy. He could be a total bust. He could, he could be know? a complete, complete bust. And he so, could be Hideki Arabu of Cuba. He very well could be. And so if I had to choose one, and I don't think it should be a matter of choosing either or, but if I had to choose one, I will take the guaranteed production and liquidity of Pablo Sandoval. I'm, and I'm, not, I'm normally not a risk-mitigating guy, but in, in this instance, I would be. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a gambler. I, I initially like the idea of Tomas. I like his upside, um, but I'm also a realist, and I think that if the Padres take a dive into free agency and, and, and Tomas totally fails, I don't think they're going back into free agency. I think it's going to deter them from going into free agency in the future. So as a risk-mitigation Strategy, I would also go after Sandoval. From an excitement standpoint, though, I think I would be more excited if they only signed Tomas and not Sandoval. Because for, going into the season, you'd be like, yeah, because yeah, you have no idea what he's going to do. Yeah, you're like, well, maybe we have a 40 home run hitter. Yeah, like, maybe he's Jose Abreu. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So uh, I can see the, the merits to either side. It's just from a, yeah, from an operation standpoint, from like an actual trying to build a winning team and not guarantee that you're going to be completely screwed for the next seven years, uh, I would go Sandoval. Um, well, there's a, there's a big couple of weeks coming up, so we got to keep our fingers crossed and, uh, you know, watch, watch the MLBTraderRivers.com. Yeah, and actually it's funny because I would prefer Hanley Ramirez over to either of them, and he's not even being discussed. Well, I mean, the Red Sox are discussing him, but yeah. I mean by Padres fans. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so look, we've uh, had a lot of Padres discussion today. We had Scott Peters on. That was awesome. Um, there is so much to talk about in Padres land, so maybe after uh, the dust settles on these deals, uh, we can jump back on for a quick podcast. Um, in the meantime, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us, including our guest today, Scott Peters. Um, and let's go on record that he went on record uh, as being a fan of the Brown. He is a bring back the Brown guy, yes. indeed. Uh, also, I was I was impressed with he, he, you know, sometimes for example, I'm going to throw out this example. Barack Obama claims to be a Chicago White Sox fan, and there was that one interview where he was asked, "Who's your favorite White Sox player?" and he could not name any players. Scott Peters came on here and he rallied, he rattled off a ton of names, including Corey Spangenberg and all these sort of things. Uh, that was legit. Yeah. I mean, short of mentioning Derek Bell in that Houston trade, the Ken Caminiti trade talk, like his his knowledge is is strong. I mean, you can tell he's a season ticket holder. Yeah, I didn't hear Arcus and Fraco's name either. I mean, that's the official benchmark in yes. my opinion. Yeah, that hurt me. That hurt me personally, but um, I'll bet yeah. he could have. He was probably just trying to uh, you know conserve his words. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, until next time, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining and. Go Padres. Hopefully there's something positive to talk about. Yes, go Padres. Two weeks weeks till the winter meetings here. So maybe we can uh, gin up something, uh, something exciting. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. All right.